This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got a guest today. I don't know how to say her last name, but I will tell you guys that she is amazing. I met her out in Austin a few weeks back. And we instantly connected, and now we're like best friends forever. Lauren, what's going on? How are things down in Orlando? Hello. It's Petrulo, by the way, and it's okay if you don't pronounce my last name, because I can't very well pronounce it either. It's Italian, and my husband's from Italy, so I just go for it. But it's amazing in Orlando because it's slightly chilly, which is not that common here. So I get to wear sweater weather. That close. So... Are you going fencing tonight? Because that was one of the things that were just absolutely intriguing for me is that like this woman, like a fencer, and she goes like every week and tries to poke people with the ward. Oh, I'm like a professional pirate. So I'm fencing on Wednesday. They do have it today as well, but I'm going to attempt Zumba tonight. But no, Wednesday is I fence and it's and it's legit like half of the room. That I'm on are like the amateur fencers where we, we literally look like a poorly cast Pirates of the Caribbean stunt training group. And then on the other side, we have like nationally and internationally ranked quasi Olympic hopefuls, people who have fence all around the globe. So it's very different sounds. You have like versus like high end clashing of swords. None of these things are used things that I'm used to, nor are they normal in the world that I live in. But that's part of the reason why Lauren is so awesome. So Lauren, I saw you speaking on stage. You had your glasses on, not those. They were a different color. And you were telling us about all the things AI and how it's changing the world. And you do some stuff with blogs or something. Like, how do you make your money? Let's talk about that, because I just find that fascinating as well. Well, it's not their feet pictures, but through AI-related content, we've been working with a tool called Jasper for over two years now, and we've been generating content on blogs rather quickly and efficiently, and where that traffic will generate new eyeballs, new customers, and awareness to a website. We also make those blogs shoppable, so those blogs are converting higher than you know e-commerce stores that we evaluate in other areas. But making money wide is like helping e-commerce brands get awareness to who their products best serve through organic means that they don't have to keep paying over and over and over again. So let me get this right. You write a blog or Jasper writes the blog. With Jasper, not by Jasper, with Jasper. I couldn't resist. And then it gets ranked on Mm -hmm. one of the search engines. The person reads the article and then they get the opportunity to buy something as a result of reading that article. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, it's you're already consuming the content about what type of sunscreen is best for your skin at this time of the year. And you've been sold on the type of product you're looking for 
And conveniently, there's a one click and buy Amazon like shopping experience where boom, it's in your cart. You don't have to go searching for the product. We're already providing the recommendations for you. And individuals, when they're in these search query style areas, like they're seeking out answers. And so when they're finding out answers to their questions, they're also going to need solutions to their problems. So we just provide solutions right then and there. So you're beating out the SEO search engine optimization companies for rankings for, because I mean, I know people, I'm one of them that spends a lot of money on SEO. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's one way to do it. But like, I mean, what we're doing, it's it's just, it's using, it's not just by Jasper Loan. A lot of people are using ChatGPT as an alternative to OpenAI. I have many concerns about that if you're trying to do it at scale with organization and team. But having the chance to rank is facilitated by Jasper to create content faster and not and like really to mitigate the time of writer's block or like a creative slump because Jasper's literally right there so that you're just nonstop going with like fuel on the fire. But we also use this tool called Surfer, which gives us like this recipe formula that tells you more or less how many words your blog needs to be, how many specific words need to be incorporated into your blog and how often, how many headings, how many paragraphs, how many images. So it's really just like a to-do list to rank. And we've been doing that in both English and Spanish. And we see content ranking on first page for Spanish content within two weeks. And then with our English-based content within a month. Whoa. It's kind of like a cheat system. And because we get all the answers for us through this tool called Surfer, And then we do it really quickly alongside this tool called Jasper. We have our copywriters creating as many as 10 blogs a day, going from idea to uploaded blog in a single day. Whereas before, we would use copywriters that turnaround time could be two or three days for one article. Okay. So AI makes it more efficient. Yes. Got it. And so is AI going to fire everybody too? No. We So when we started using AI, we went from one person on our SEO team to now we have over 14. And I say over 14 because you always have fluctuations within work. That's just we had 15 last week and maybe we'll have 16 that week or 13. Depends. Kidding, of course. But no, like we grew from one to 14 individuals in six months. So it didn't replace anyone. It created a lot more opportunity for us to offer this at scale for more clients more efficiently with a guaranteed back end of ranking inside of it. So it wasn't just creating content to create content. It was creating content with purpose. And like the biggest component is a lot of people that are using AI right now, they're all about prompts, prompts, prompts matter. Like they do to create the content, you need to give direction to the AI for the output you're going to get. So what you want is input to get output. But if you're only for focusing on prompts, like that's cool. That's just like eyeballs. Like those are those are followers. You need customers. You need purchases before you need prompts. So what we were able to do is with the efficiency of creating this content so quickly with a really like nailed in SOP, we've been able to create other opportunities for us to get micro conversions such as add to carts or actual purchases or lead acquisition from our content driving strategies. Content driving strategy. So let me get this right. You must have went to school for like computer engineering or something and just been a total, right? It's law, but you know, same thing. My MBA is in innovation. So it's just like being a glorified five-year-old coming up with impossible strategies. Like when I worked at Walt Disney, you know, like going above and beyond is the bare minimum at that organization. And so when I was on the innovation team and marketing, we got to do what if all day long. Like what if Elsa took over 
Cinderella's castle and decorated it to be this amazing winter palace. What if 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds enjoyed going to Disney cruises and weren't complaining to their parents the whole time and asking to be on a screen? It was all these like what-if scenarios with also like great budgets. But no, my my background was first in business law because I thought I was going to do estate planning. And then I went into innovation. <laughs> uh, so these two things are not connected. So how did you make the transition from, you talked about feet earlier. So I'm going to drop in, you played soccer in college. And, yeah. but how do you go from a soccer playing business law student to working at Walt Disney to running a company with employees? Like, a lot of employees? Pivots. Soccer. I mean, I had, I had thought I'd be a professional soccer player that got a nice reality check. So I had to pivot. Love law because I grew up with five brothers and debate in the household meant like which chores you were responsible for and which punishments you did or did not receive. So I really loved those elements of the conversations, like backing up why I didn't deserve a spanking or why David did. So I was really attracted to the business law side because I always like business things when I was five. In my household, at least, it was never a matter of like, no, out the back. It was a matter of how. So like, if I asked my dad for a Barbie, it wasn't, no, you can't have a Barbie. It's how are you going to get it? And so at five, he was like having me start my own businesses. Like I was a queen at selling lemonade. I went door to door selling pictures that I drew with crayons. It was never again a matter of if I can, but how was I going to get it? And so the business side was something like ingrained from a young age and then switching from business law to the opportunity at Disney. When I got the job offer at Disney, I started first in business consulting at Disney Institute. I got the job offer 50 days before law school started where I had a full ride. Everything was paid for. They were treating me and my husband to a very comfortable accommodation in Texas. But 50 days before school started, I got this dream job offer and said, all right, let's drive from LA to Orlando. And we did. And then and we stayed in Florida. because Ever since. Yeah. You know how much better taxes are here, property taxes compared to California? I mean, it's, all it the is the happiest place. All the taxes are better. So, I mean, who walks away from a full ride for law school? Like, how how did you make that decision? Maybe be, I, I wouldn't have been able to have made that decision without my husband. He just said, okay, I've got shotgun. He knew what would make me happy and where law school was in Lubbock, Texas. Like it was a very non-diverse community. It was following a very specific career trajectory. And while there is innovation in law, like you have the strength of the legal system behind you and the flexibility of interpretation. Disney was my dream as a kid. I was really fortunate that we got to crash on our friends' hotel couches and visit them in like every year as our summer vacation, like we just pile up and like my brother and I'd sleep in the laundry room as possible so that we could go to Disney. And it was just like, you have your dream or you have your reality. And I chose the dream. Or to make the dream a reality. So oh, that's better. You get there. And was it what you thought it was going to be? Was it truly the dream from the beginning or were you like, oh boy, what did I do? There's ebbs and flows to that dream. Going from Disney Institute, then going to the in-house idea agency at Disney 
that felt like a real dream. I mean, I loved what I did. Disney Institute's a business consulting arm. We got to work with really great brands and companies that wanted to implement Disney's impact in their organizations, like Disney's approach to creativity and innovation, Disney's approach to selection, training, and engagement. That was fun. But going to the in-house idea agency was such a dream that I kept like pinching myself. Like I couldn't believe the projects I was a part of, the teams that we got to collaborate on. Like it, it literally was being a professional five-year-old with money, coming up with the greatest ideas you can to make people happy. Now, the position that I had was no longer available. So that's where I had pivoted and was like, okay, cool. Digital marketing team got dismantled and a lot of the resources had to get distributed. I mean, it was a a dream crusher in the sense that I didn't want to work for corporate anymore because I saw where you were just a cog in a wheel and the impact of watching around Christmas, hundreds of coworkers who had been with the company for over a dozen years get walked. Like even like my boss had been with the company 29 and a half years, 30 years you get pension. Like there's they're the reality that comes with corporate, which I appreciate now being a small business owner to an extent. But still, I was like, oh, I don't like not having control. So you pivoted and moved Mm. out of corporate Mm -hmm. when you probably could have gotten a job pretty much anywhere based on your training and the job experience you had at that point. So did you walk into your small business and money just started falling from the sky and things were better (laughs) than they were when you had a job? I mean, there's a few little stops along the life game board, but when the opportunity to do this on my own, it was just people kept asking me to, like, even to this day, we're 100% referral based. We haven't done any marketing. But the first year that I did this, I had clients asking me to please, please do projects for them. And I helped six people become millionaires. So I was like, oh, I'm not bad at this. And then it kept growing. And I brought even smarter people on who were friends to coordinate projects with me so that we could do one plus one equals three. And now we're a team of over 30 humans. And it's a fun and wild journey. That's interesting because... I know for a fact that it wasn't just that simple, right? Those two sentences Mm. that you put together from $0 in revenue to no advertising to 30 people just doesn't happen. So talk to me a little bit, right? Give me, give me maybe two or three of the challenges that you've overcome along the way. Overcome or still mastering because I hope that I keep growing. One of the biggest challenges for sure is people management. I mean, at Disney and all other previous work, I was managing projects and yet people were touching the projects. But now I'm like personally responsible for families' livelihoods. And there comes a lot more to that emotionally than I was prepared for. But overcoming that and understanding that like people aren't the product, the process can be the product and the collaboration is the product and that people are like the best part of The process, that was an awesome realization because I got to delegate more and collaborate more versus manage like and managing less to that regard. Other things that were like hard to overcome were just the growing pains of finding success at my young age and and realizing that everyone that wants to support you has different limits in which they can support you. And so there was a reckoning with a lot of my friends of understanding that like, hey, I do have my own challenges. And while I'm aspiring or they're aspiring to their own small businesses themselves and have not taken that leap, I'm still not without flaws or not without like 
challenges and, and friendships to lean in on, but it found a, a really good like way to learn that like, oh, not everyone's in your corner. Not everyone calls shotgun the way my husband did for my dream. So that was, those are like two of the biggest things to overcome personally. They all come back to people. People don't always suck. Sometimes they do, but not always. Yeah. <laughs> so usually there's a point along the way when you're building a thing where you get certain that you need to keep going. I call this the red pill moment, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm doing this thing. It might work. And then it's like, I have to do this. Yeah. You remember when that moment was for you? It might be. I mean, one moment sticks out. A client and friend, Tanya, was like, stop referring to yourself as one. Like you have a team. Because I initially was like referring my friends to the projects and bringing them on and bringing them on. And she's like, no, you have a team. Like you're running an agency, like you're not just freelancers, a collection of freelancers. And so when that small little shift in the conversation started happening, uh, we were closing clients faster. We were getting better reporting. And so that was just, a, oh, wait, yeah, no, this is a better path to go down. So I remember that quite distinctly. I'll have to think more on a more specific red pill moment. Oh, no, no sorry, with John. I've got a better one. Last year, or no, maybe it was two years ago now. What year we in? Maybe two years ago. I was offered a very, very healthy salary and opportunity to grow with a business. How much was it? How much was it? Over 400 a year. Okay. And the work would be like minimally managed. I'd have just like so much less stress and I'd have ownership and equity into this brand. Okay. I'd get to hire everyone, outsource everything. And it was kind of like, oh, this this would be easier. For sure. And then I realized that like the law school situation, it wouldn't necessarily make me happier. And where I could grow small businesses and clients will have greater impact than what this specific role would be. And I'd be I'd be shackled to a bit of what I could do because I'd be specific to one sector. And so knowing that the people that we have worked with, our clients and what life changing experiences that they went through, that was worth it more. So that was one of like, oh, no, I want red pill. So that's the second time I've heard you use the word happy. Huh? When did that become your North Star? I don't know if it was ever not my North Star. Okay. I think, I mean, again, growing up in our household, we didn't have to do anything in the sense of like, I didn't have to do my homework. In fact, I remember one time in sixth grade, my mom coming home and yelling at me saying like, are you doing any homework? Because she had gone to it, get her hair cut and a classmate of mine was her mother that was cutting hair and was complaining about how much homework they're doing and how many hours they're spending each night. And my mom was concerned because all I was doing was like video gaming, playing soccer, running around the neighborhood, going to the library, doing everything but homework. She never saw me doing homework. And it was because we never had to. I mean, I still had a 4.0 GPA. I just did it more efficiently and I didn't have to do all of the extra pieces that came into it. So we were always told to choose happiness. Or even if we like signed up for sports that we didn't want to go to the practice team, it, we weren't required to because it was a commitment. And if we didn't want to, we just voiced why we didn't want to and always made the decisions for ourselves. Now, that's interesting. So how did you... Because I get the sense that you're somebody that is really loyal, dependable, accountable. But that wasn't something that was pushed on you. So where'd you learn that? I, I mean, I could say the closest people around me were that. And it just wasn't 
It was innate versus taught. It was led by example. I mean, my family, we grew up and there have been some seasons that I don't think many families could endure. And there was never a, this isn't not going to happen anymore, even through like the worst times of our different relationships. I mean, like I was homeless in high school, but there was still this sense of like opportunity and reliability on others in our ecosystem. So what could have been a bad situation was like the best of the worst situations. Also, my husband's like amazing and the most dependable and loyal person in the whole world. And his whole family emulates it as well. So it's, it's like if you're doing the sum of all the people around you, maybe I just have a superpower of only like being around mostly great humans. Well, I think we attract what we are. And so that part is really interesting to hear you say. Mm. This is, I've, I've never actually seen that imprint. Usually human beings go for the path of least resistance. And that is none of what you've pursued or done. And you weren't forced to do any of it. So this conversation around the ability to choose is a very interesting one for me because I think a lot of people believe that we don't have choice. And they talk about them not, them being made to do something or they didn't want to do it, but they had to. And you're saying, I didn't have to do any of this stuff. I chose to because it's what I wanted to do. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, the consequences of choice, I still have many years ahead of me, you know, knock on wood, and the ability to spring back up. Maybe again, just because what I grew up around and I saw what rock bottom looked like for so many others and what it could have been for other people very close to me. The consequence of a choice was not really, it was almost like a dramatic version of like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'll have to move into a smaller apartment or get a roommate. Or like, I'll sleep in my car for the next week. Like, while those are very serious and like challenging opportunities, there's definitely different places to go. And it's a temporary environment setting. I just, I I trusted myself to bounce back quickly. And maybe because I had so much loyalty around people that would catch me if I did fall, um, that I wasn't scared of the consequences. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So what you said, and it was almost a shoulder shrug, you said, I'll sleep in my car for you. And you mentioned being homeless in high school before. And it's just like, so for some people, those things are unthinkable. And you're, you're okay with that. You're okay with the consequences of the choice. And I I see a lot of people who make their decisions based on what they don't want to happen. And it seems like you have made your decisions based on what you do want to happen. And I think that's a fundamental difference in 
the approach to life. And it, for me, it's the difference between abundance and scarcity, right? Because if you are making your decisions from a place of scarcity, then you're only worried about what you're going to lose, right? If there's a decision from a place of abundance, then it's what can I gain? And yeah, I could lose this stuff, but there is upside that is more desirable from my perspective. And this probably goes into pleasure seeking versus pain avoidance and some other things. But I just find this really refreshing because what I found from women more often than not is their desire for security and safety. And that does not seem to be the thing that has drove your decisions. Because, I mean, most people would think law school is more safe than Disney, right? For sure. (laughs) Right. We could go down some of the other scenarios that you put in front of us over the course of this conversation and and arrive at the same point. But the fact of the matter is you're, you're writing or you're reading from a different playbook. So... Who showed up to help you along the way on the journey? You've mentioned your husband a few times. Yeah. But let's go. Is he helping you in the business? Like, let's talk about the growth of the business because you say you're referral based only. Yeah. Was your first client referred in? Like, who's guiding you? Like, who's helping you do what you've done? Because I suspect if you look at most of your friends, they aren't doing what you're doing right now. Fair. Yeah, I, I have a really diverse collection of friends, which I am so grateful for because when I like work professional setting, I'm surrounded by a bunch of small business owners and like marketers specifically. And so when I do have the chance to have friends like through dragon boating, through fencing, through any other the tour to hobbies that I go through, it brings fresh perspective. But business wise, again, like my friend and client Tanya, she has seen in me something that she saw in herself and has bestowed a lot of like generous wisdom in terms of what she wishes she had done and comes from a place of like, I want you to succeed. And I think I like well, even at Disney, right? Like I was in a position where my boss was the VP of innovation and creativity for the Walt Disney Company. And he reported to the SVP of marketing for the Walt Disney Company, who reported to Tom Staggs, who reported to Bob Iger. So if you looked at our roster, like I was, it looked like I was like, four people dying away from being CEO. I mean, that's not the career trajectory. Like you just don't go from where I was to VP. But like I did have the chance to always work alongside very advanced individuals in their career. And they saw this humble hunger, I guess. And whether that reminded them of themselves or dreams that they wanted, they would lean themselves in to to guide me along the way. And I think more recently, I joined my first mastermind. Because I think like I had this almost like quarter life crisis situation because not everyone around me that I had grown up with had seen the same success that I have. And I was I felt really complacent and things were easy. So it wasn't as motivating anymore. And then I was able to join a mastermind of other individuals who were feeling those same sorts of slumps. And so I just I could go back to younger Lauren and say, like, please join a mastermind sooner. Like, you have to pay to get the people you want around you. Because where I had all these really successful individuals that did, like, shepherd some guidance along the way, they can only go so far. Whereas if you are in an an environment where, like, you know, pay to play, you can have some expectations without feeling like you're using someone. Well, the relationship should be mutually beneficial, right? And for sure, if you're open to giving, 
then you have to be open to receiving as well, or you create something that's dysfunctional. Mm. So I, I think that's right. And I think you expecting to get things is part of how you get things, right? Because yeah. if you don't expect anything, back to humans looking for the path of least resistance, they tend not to offer it. So this is one of my favorite questions, one some people shirk away from, but I fully expect you to lean in on it. Was there a moment when everything was on the line? Did you have a rock bottom? You talked about your rock top. Rock top was I'm more successful than all of my friends. And so now what? Mm. Was there a rock bottom where it it was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. In the moment, they felt like rock bottoms temporarily, like never more than two days because it, then I would just get a gut reality check that like this really isn't rock bottom. Like that they're like, I mean, small things and sorry for like being obnoxious, but like I was 12 and I wanted when I was attempting suicide because I was really, really bullied in school. I have a mixed race family. I have a handicapped father. My parents are older. I suck my thumb till fourth grade, all sorts of ammo for unkind kid moments. So in terms of what had been a rock bottom, like again, in the moment, emotionally, it may have felt it at times where like, is this really, really what it's supposed to be? Like, but it never lasts more than two days. So thank you for being so vulnerable there because most people won't admit that. We found that our the apex performers that we help the most have like five characteristics, suicidal ideation, near-death experience, losing mm. somebody close to them when they're young, this people-pleasing mentality of I've got to achieve in order to get people to like me. And mm-hmm. there's one more, and I won't mention it here right now, but I'm just really grateful that you were willing to share that you went there because I think a lot of people have those thoughts, whether they actually do anything to make them real, mm. they, they ask questions like, well, would they be better off if I wasn't here? Or would anybody miss me? Other words that could lead to a really bad place. And it always comes down to this question of, am I really sad? Right? Mm. Or am I making a difference? Does my life matter? And so we go off and we achieve and we accomplish and we do all these things with the hope that our life will matter at some point. And some of us are more successful than others. But when we look around, it ends up and a lot of times being lonely if we're not being intentional about the people that we are including in our space. As you just mentioned with you joining a mastermind where other people were showing up and intentional about their development and growth. So you slipped this in and I don't want people to miss it. You talked about dragon boating, (laughs) talked about fencing and you mentioned Zumba. And so (laughs) one of the things we like to talk about on this show is health. And Mm. so what you're doing to be healthy. So there's exercise, clearly. And for yeah. those of you who don't know what dragon boating is, please pull out your phone and search YouTube so you can see what dragon boating is. It is <laughs> not for the faint at heart. And so talk to me about that. Like, and we talked about soccer too. So, like, yeah. where did that come from? And why are you still keeping that up? I mean, I pick with women from time to time and say, hey, you got your ring already. Why are you still doing it? Why are you still in the game? Like you already won the Super Bowl. Ah, fair. Yeah, but like back-to-back championship rings? Come on. Like for me, like I grew up, it was easier for my parents 
And they may not agree with it. My father has passed, but they could drop me and my brother off at swimming, at soccer, at whatever activity, and it could burn out our energy and provided somewhat babysitting to an extent. So I grew up like, you know, I was swimming for Junior Olympics and then I was competing internationally with figure skating. And then I thought I'd be a so- like sports and athleticism was always there. But like you have to understand, like my dad played professional basketball. He was six, eight and a half. And then my mom, like being born in 1944, didn't necessarily a- afford her a lot of opportunities to play sports, but that's all she ever wanted to try. So she never said no to anything we wanted to pursue. And sports helps me understand teamwork and you no. Know, a way to relieve stress. But I think why I continue it is it's not just physical health that matters, but social health. Like I work from home and we have a remote team. And even though our Orlando team is within two miles of my house where I work from, I I need to get out and socialize and and meet other humans because it's so easy to get stuck in a bubble. And I saw this a lot at Disney when you're only looking at theme parks or you're only looking at the IP that's available. You can really stunt innovation and growth. And when you have a corporate that moves like a dinosaur sometimes, like the, that's a nightmare of mine. So having the chance to be like socially healthy, like relationshiply healthy, and then getting some physical exercise in the meantime, it's like win, 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 win. That was one of my biggest realizations from the fall when I started actually going to a gym to work out with mm-hmm. like other people instead of the neighborhood deal. It was I just wasn't connected to entrepreneurs in the community. Mm-hmm. And so... There was a long time where I felt like that wasn't necessary. And I built the national and international network, but I didn't have a local. And it was, it was shuddering for me when I came to that realization. And I was just having this conversation two Fridays ago, or actually it was last Monday with somebody because they're in the exact same boat. He built a house and he was like, when I was building this house, I thought I would never leave. Like that was the goal was just to build a compound and just be in the space and not have to go anywhere. But he agreed that, you know, that gets lonely, right? You have the people who come in that you already know, but the opportunity to meet new people, pretty slim. And so, you know, in a post-COVID world, because I'm dubbing COVID over for anybody who still wants to argue and thinks we still need to be wearing masks, getting face-to-face with people. In fact, I flew to Michigan last Friday to do a one-day meeting with somebody who I've been talking to virtually for a couple of years now, but we never met in person. And being in the same space led to some stuff that I know both of us agree wouldn't have happened if we were just sitting on this call. So that's really smart to do physical exercise, to build relationships with other people in between when you're gasping for breath. Yeah. That's that's really, that's really cool. Well, if you're comfortable with flailing around, like we celebrate failing at my company Mongoose, like first attempt in learning, like we celebrate failures all the time because if you're not failing, like you're not actually trying. But if you're comfortable letting yourself learn something you're not good at and pushing your body and your mind to different limits, you can make friends real quick. Use case Zumba. I am not great at it. Um, but in my class of many like Dominican women and like some Puerto Rican guys, I, I own up to what I am not good at and still show up. And I, I can't believe how generous everyone has been for like the continued sustained effort. And like being an athlete, like I wasn't a bench warmer. So doing this like athletic style thing and, and not being very good at it, like I'm talking about like the balloon at the the parking lot, the car sales ship, like, oh, my God. 
It's okay. If you are comfortable doing it, you will build relationships real quick. Because if you can sell your vulnerability and build their confidence, being like, oh yeah, like this good English can't do it very well. But look at like my hips and stuff. I so strongly encourage it for anyone. And if you're sweating, like again, you get to take all these, you burn some calories if that's important to you. And all that does. I hope it's important if you're exercising. <laughs> I will some people like maybe they're like trying to bulk up or whatever their motivations behind exercise. I just don't want it to seem like it's a caloric deficit or like seeking to lose weight specifically. I like I try every day to like work up a little bit of a sweat because I like to think like, OK, cool. Now I've got like the Lauren glitter on. I knew you were going to say glitter. I didn't know how I knew you were going to say glitter, but I knew you were going to say glitter. All right. Let's get serious, right? We move into the significance part of the podcast. Let's talk about your biggest difference in your approach to life today versus you can pick when you were young, like kid, like still with your parents, or when you were in corporate. The biggest approach to life now compared to, well, I would say when I was in corporate, it was dependent upon someone else's decision. And now I make all the decisions so much so that I often like experience decision fatigue. And I didn't have that at corporate. It was like waiting for decisions to be made nonstop. And I don't, I want to be fast to act. So I think <clears throat> that would be the biggest difference. It's just how soon and how quickly can I implement? And then if it doesn't work, how quickly can we pivot and take what didn't work and apply those learnings to the next pivot so that we can either compensate or overcome whatever challenges we've just faced. Why is it important to take action? Why is it important to implement quick? I've seen the lack of inaction lead to opportunity costs, lead to uh, really other like larger detrimental factors, including like organizations going belly up, missing the wave, like a lot of the stuff that we also do. So more often we get sought after for Facebook ad stuff. And I've had a really intimate relationship with Meta and and opportunities, including funding. Like we helped our clients get over $600,000 in Q4 of free advertising money from Meta. And for the brands that were slow to act, they miss out on serious amounts of money that could have been infused into their business. So I think it's if we go back to the decision making of like, what are the consequences if I don't? Like, what do I have to lose versus what do I have to gain? Being fast to act for me, helps solidify like, okay, what can we get out of this by taking action sooner? Spoken like a true athlete. <laughs> I think athletes, yeah. if you don't act, it's a mess. It is a whole mess. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are you most grateful for, Lauren? My health. Like, for sure. Like, I, my father was handicapped. He had one leg. He lost it in war, which ended his, his continuation in basketball. But I mean, it's, it's really easy. COVID or not, for people not to be mentally or physically or spiritually or any type of healthiness. And so I'm I'm happy, which I think is an element of health. Like I have joy every day. So my health all day. It allows me to be more capable. What dream are you most focused on catching that? You know, I'm reading this. I'm finishing this book by Steve Sims. And it said, like, what is your most outlandish dream? Like something so crazy that like just put it out there. I haven't said this to anyone, but I did write it in the book. And it's like, I want the president to personally request assistance from me. I don't know if it's the next dream, but it's my most outlandish one. Like I want, I want to be personally requested by the president to help with something. Do you care what it is? I, I mean, 
there are things I don't want to, I mean, obviously we've talked about how I'm not good at feet pictures. So that's not what I want to be offering health. <laughs> but something in a professional capacity where I can use my experience and, and, and brilliance to help make a difference and help someone make a better decision, more informed decision. I'll never forget. I'm sitting talking to Lauren and she says, I'm not humble. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I'm more than willing to tell people what I'm good at. <laughs> this was after she asked people the question of like, what aren't you good at? Like, give uh, me the yeah. top five things you aren't good at. Yeah. Which I think was one of the most weird questions I've ever got asked in the first interaction with somebody. But, you know, it's yes. all cool. Did I tell you, you get that to I know people about their weaknesses, huh? Um, I mean, yeah, knowing weaknesses, like it, it helps share things because maybe someone else is better at it and they're like, oh, like I can speak and breathe AI implementation. Oh, I got you. Like that doesn't have to be a weakness anymore. But I think like you saying weird, like it lights me up because I think when someone is ever calls me weird or uses weird in some phrasing that I'm related to, I'm like, yes, I was my most authentic self. Wow. So I'm an alien and a weirdo. So it's always a compliment when I use the word. Because it's not common, right? And I think those are the things that we remember. Those are things we anchor against, the things that we wouldn't expect to receive on a daily basis. Yeah. All right, Lauren, I got two more questions for you. You ready for the first one? Bad drum roll. Yes. What gift are you giving the world? Uh, what gift am I giving the world? The world? Well, it's a really big place. I I, I know right now, oof, gift I'm giving the world, it is. an obsession with helping provide more clean access or more access to clean water. I mean, that's like a personal goal of mine. And it's something I bring up with a lot of people. And even if they're not able to financially, emotionally or any way contribute to helping the world get what I believe is the most fundamental need something that geographical location of birth or anything else shouldn't dictate access to clean water. I think just my nonstop reminder of how important that is, is the best thing I can give to the world or my best gift. How are you connected to clean water? Usually people get obsessed with that type of stuff when they were negatively or they know somebody that they really cared about. Them. Fortunately, I, I don't know anyone personal. During the pandemic, everyone kept saying, wash your hands, wash your hands. And through dragon boating, or Korean class, or Chinese, or like all of these different hobbies that I've got to explore to stay mentally fit, it became apparent that not everyone has access to wash their hands. And it was a crippling moment for me thinking that the disparity between, okay, to prevent COVID, to prevent a pandemic of widespread death, Clean water access is, again, that bare minimum just to wash your hands and stay healthy. So fortunately, I haven't been personally impacted, but I mean, I, I'm a big crier. Like you send me a video of someone coming home from war and surprising their sibling. I'm I'm on the floor, ugly crying and snot stripping everywhere. If there's a commercial and a cute puppy, like I, I, I lose it. So when it became apparent how clean water was the easiest thing we could do to spread the prevent the spread of COVID and how uneasy that is for so many more people in the world. It was something that I took on as a personal, hey, what are you doing? At least start the conversation, be aware of it. So, you're not doing it out of selfishness. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's selfishness to a point. Like, I don't think anything is done selflessly. 
Like I remember that episode from Friends where Phoebe was like, even letting the bee sting her. Well, now that bee is gone. Like I, I think everything does. Everything has something to do with selfish. And if it's even just what makes me happy and giving back in a way is probably the easiest joy recharge that I have. So I would not say that it's not done selfishly, selflessly. Well, but you're not easily able to connect the dots. And so usually with motivation, we want to see the connection unless we're just following intuition. Mm. Right. And so this is, this is fascinating. Final question. What's the one thing the listeners should take away from our conversation? Oh my gosh. That Trump is the world's best hugger that like he brings so much joy to my life that if you don't have the chance to know you in person, do whatever it takes to get in his immediate vicinity because I think I'm grateful that I get to orbit my life around yours now. Or the other thing is if like work-wise, if you're looking at implementing AI, do so with purpose, not replacement, because when you do so with purpose and direction, you can 10x what you're trying to deliver versus if you're trying to replace, you're just choosing which is the greener side of the pasture versus like, hey, I want to own the whole, whole vineyard, whole acre of farms, or I'm not doing very good with those other words. That, that's not my background. I'm a city girl through and through. But like, if you are looking at implementing it, I do have a blog SOP of how we've made blog shoppable, especially if you're an e-commerce brand, like it's yours, you can have it. You don't have to invent the wheel, but don't go under the gun thinking AI is going to make fewer jobs. Think of how AI is going to really make even more possibilities. Wow. So AI is the difference maker. It improves efficiency. It helps you scale. And it instead of eliminating jobs, it created more. Yeah. And you eliminated dead time. You get to do so much more creativity with all that extra free time that can make bigger impact. Lauren, I think you're a dream catcher. I think that you are living unapologetically and authentically, and that is opening up all kinds of doors for you. I think it's really exciting to see somebody who isn't scared to venture out, potentially fail, and then achieve and conquer and then make a positive impact on the folks that they're engaging and interacting with. I don't know many folks who can say that they help six people become millionaires, but you can. And in their fir- in first year, first year. There have been more since then, but it was in my first And year. I don't think it's the end of it, right? And so imagine if everybody was in a space where they were positively impacting, and that's just something that's measurable, right? But intentionally positively impacting the lives of other people. So I just want to thank you for taking your red pill and going out and making your dream a reality. And for coming on the show and being so generous with your time today. I'm, I got a lot from it. and I'm sure the listeners will have as well. Oh, I mean, even though it's not pink, like the color of my other glasses and the crazy shoes that I wear. No, this is fun. Thank you so much. And hello to everyone that's listening. Thanks for, for sticking it through. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.